0: the Nightbird Radio Podcast. I'm Timothy Saylor, and I'm going to be your host this evening as we sound out the subconscious, navigate the nocturnal, and explore the farthest reaches of our experience. Coming at you from the back of an 86 Dodge Ram van on the rolling foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains in the Great Forest, deep in the heart of the Kali Yuga, this is radio for the Hauntological Turn. This episode of the Nightbird Radio podcast was brought to you by me. If you'd like to support the show and hear your name or a cryptic message in lieu of your name read at the top of the next episode, head to nightbirdpodcast.com and navigate to the support the show page. And remember to subscribe to this show wherever you listen to your podcasts and give me a five-star rating. That helps a lot. I'm also on Instagram at nightbirdpodcast, on YouTube at nightbirdpodcast and on Telegram at t.me slash nightbirdradio. And welcome back, Nightbirds. It's great to have you back, and it's great to be back. This week I was joined by Hannah Williams. Hannah is an artist, meme lord, spiritual field guide, and student. She received her B.A. in Religious Studies from Naropa University and has been studying as a student within a Shakta Tantric lineage for eight years. She teaches courses, gives weekly talks, and mentors people privately in their spiritual process. But ultimately, she is just an amateur polymath hoping to find a way to both laugh and transform through the labyrinth of her ordinary life. We talked about the power of memes, Rudolf Steiner, ritual, the creation of reality, Atheism as a response to the mediocre experience of mainstream Christianity, the evolutionary process, initiation, ancestor veneration, AA as an occult tradition, changing your relationship to fear. We explored what the compost pile is telling us, the relationship between science and spirituality, paradox, remembering and forgetting, and so much more. But without further introduction, let's get to the conversation. Okay. Hannah Williams, welcome to the Nightbird Radio podcast. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing wonderful. I'm happy to be here today.
0: I'm happy to have you. Yeah. Um so I'll I will tell you how I found out about like I think on Instagram my brother sent me a meme that you made. Okay. And like that's just another one of these ex- examples of like this world that we live in is it's kind of wild. Um and so I did want to talk a little bit about memes to start out with cuz I've been thinking about them today kind of I don't know maybe it's Wednesday thing. Do you want to give the people a little introduction? Um tell a little bit about yourself first. And before we launch into that?
1: Right. Okay. So um from anyone who's listening right now, they just learned that I make memes. Okay? They don't know anything about me. Okay? <laughs> and so everyone who's listening yeah. to this just learned that I make memes. And um, that's one thing that I do in my life. And so I have uh, an Instagram called Organic Abundance where I share memes that I make. And I've been doing this for like three years. Um, And over time, I would say that my memes have become more and more topical. Um, They used to be a little bit more like real memory sort of a vibe. I understand meme culture deeply, actually.
0: I really (laughs) like it. Like, I think it's I I take it very seriously, too, in a way like obviously it's fun, but like I find it to be quite a revolutionary way of uh, spreading ideas.
1: Oh, well, totally. Well, so like, so for instance, like I'm, I'm kind of dragging myself when I say I've gotten more topical, but it's it's true. I feel like I've gotten more topical, but um, memes themselves are really interesting because from like a philosophical perspective, the word meme comes from mimetics, which perhaps you're familiar with. Yeah. And so it's this basic theory or idea or school of thought around the movement of information through space or the movement of an idea through space and time almost. And so a meme is an idea that moves very quickly through space. And the space itself is this digital sphere. And then all of a sudden we have all of these concepts and ideas landing in people's inboxes, like what happened with your brother. And that's the weird thing, right? Yeah. That's the Uh, weird thing.
0: And and then it led me to like kind of looking and I was like, okay, I want to talk to you. Like, I think we can have a good (laughs) conversation, you know? And, um, I think so often it works like that, like this a meme will be an entree to like a whole I don't know. Mm-hmm. I find that like I've had it like an entree to various ideas that I never would have even explored before. Mm-hmm. Like I don't mm-hmm. they're they're just able to pierce. And maybe that's a weird word to use, but I feel like they kind of do like they um they kind of are able to pierce my armor more so than like
1: mm-hmm. a
0: lot of other um medium.
1: So um we somehow i think in the first email that you sent me or something like that you mentioned that you uh were familiar with rudolf steiner yeah and so um i've studied rudolf steiner for a long time but um the reason why memes hit something in our conscious mind or unconscious mind is because it's like a clever use of metaphor and analogy and so we have images and we have words And we smash them together. And the combination of the imagery with the words does something different than just the words would do or just the image would do. And so Rudolf Steiner, this is one of my favorite things that he gave us, was this idea that um, spiritual realities or spiritual truths or even spiritual teachings can't even be described with words. But the closest thing that we have is the function of an analogy Mm. or the function of a metaphor. And so he would always teach with really powerful analogies and metaphors because the experience of hearing an analogy and what happens in the mind is more potent than just describing it with words alone. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, totally. I I like that. And I think that's very like Gnosticism adjacent to um, I'm a big fan of that kind of a whole area of, you know, of, of Gnostic, um, the Christian heresy specifically. But then, you know, there are kind of your off brand offshoots and stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Um but this i say again
1: Steiner was a rosicrucian
0: yes rosicrucian. yes
1: mm-hmm.
0: and well his stuff is great i love you know we can go into him more i love his take on like uh cry like i think one of the papers that um that i read that first exposed me to that was the um the mystery of golgotha he's got so much stuff mm. but that's a really i love that because he goes into kind of his the anthroposophic take on christ Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. is really fascinating Mm -hmm. um and it it's a lot more like and i'm into out there so when i say this it's not like you know it's not like looking at it sideways at all it's a lot more out there than i expected it to be but it's grounded in these metaphors that totally hit like it all makes sense
1: it's the metaphors totally
0: yeah and I think that to some extent, the the realm of the spiritual is the realm of metaphor like those. Mm-hmm. That's the realm that we're in, you know, so when you're talking about the subconscious and when you were talking about um, the imaginal, even, you know, mm-hmm. um, what do you think about that?
1: Oh, well, so so the first thing that I think of is, so for instance, okay, background about who I am as a fucking person. Yeah, (laughs) yeah,
0: yeah, we can do that too.
1: (laughs) Before I just start randomly rattling off of two people who have no idea who I am, um, the, the thrust of my like spiritual life is that I'm initiated into a classical tantric tradition. And so it's, I'm a yogi, weirdly enough, like most people don't look at me and think I'm a yogi, but yoga has nothing to do with the way that you look. And so I'm a yogi, but um, before I became a yogi, I was studying like aspects of the Western occult. So like Rudolf Steiner, big time, for sure. Um, And then in the last like 10 years, I just have a basic interest in like world religion. I just love other traditions. I just, it's fascinating to me. I think religious philosophies are like the, the unconscious like descriptions of different Different areas of the world, and like it's just it's like a philosophy of life in a, a way that I find more interesting than just like Western philosophy. I think religious yeah. philosophy is so much more interesting. Anyway, that's my shit. Um, but when you were talking about like the realm of the spiritual is the realm of metaphor and all these things, um, something that comes up in my mind is in the last like two years, I've been more exposed to um root work and hoodoo and conjure and all yeah. of these sorts of magical traditions. And, um, a really like kind of reductive explanation of how that system works is that it's the, it's the use of metaphor, like metaphor is like literal. And so it's like, when you're doing, um, a different working, you're conjuring different spirits, you're, um, making a a whole working fucking work. It's like, there's all these physical things that you're doing as a person that are metaphoric and it's like literal at the same time.
0: Yeah. It's a mirror
1: you take a petition to the railroad so that the train will get it far away from you. Yeah. And it's not like just symbolic. It's like also literal at the same time. You know what I mean? And so I think that metaphor actually, it's almost like um, a way, metaphor itself as if it was an object is what we use to communicate with spirits.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Right?
0: Yeah. And it's in like, and I'm glad that you uh, went with this um example too because that's going to be like most of the listeners wheelhouse too is like the the ritual workings um because that's kind of where i come from too Is like a a western occult um mindset also love learning about world religions and stuff too but um yeah so when you do that working when you're talking about you know you're i'm so i'm often doing a multitude of things i am acting out a uh, a drama in the physical with how I'm arranging things or with, like you said, putting something on a train or if I'm like sending a letter to the catacombs uh, with someone's name on it. Cause they wanted to go away. Uh, <laughs> and then I'm also um, often doing something in my mind, which mm-hmm. involves, you know, like that uh, whole level of focus and awareness. Mm-hmm. And then I'm saying words mm-hmm. and then I'm like, so I've got intention metaphor um the actual words and so it's like i'm encoding reality with all these levels of the working Mm. Mm. and it's kind of like um it's like putting a pen through multiple layers of paper or something i don't know I, but Mm. yeah Mm. totally
1: i see that well intention metaphor and words all together kind of sounds like a meme
0: right yes but it's also like i think you know in many religions is the initial act of creation like Mm -hmm. you know there's the water and then there's the nothingness that floated over the water and then the words came over the water now that's just the
1: biblical one there's oh wow yeah yeah from my tradition's view um there was like a spark of creation so like god um was just like completely formless formless and incomprehensible at one point. No form, like literally be like, we cannot even conceive of this. Like it was this formless reality. And then there was a spark of creation because the formless reality was like, what if I wasn't just one thing? What if I was two things? Yeah. And then it's like, what if I was four things? What if I was and then infinite? And now we suddenly are on a podcast with each other. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but below, yeah. but below, so there's the spark of creation. And then in that spark of creation, there were three processes. There was Icha Shakti, which is um uh oh my god, what's the word? It's like desire. Yeah. Desire was actually the spark of creation,
0: mm.
1: and then there's jnana shakti, which is intellect. And so from desire, there came intellect. You had to think of the thing that you desire. And then there comes Kriya, which is action. And so you have to take action on this thing that you want. Mm. So the whole process of creation is desire and then thinking and then doing. And that's right. happening constantly.
0: That's awesome. That's And it's lovely too, um, because there's so much there. Like it's right, right? Like. Sure. It sounds simple. And it is in a way, like it's three things, but there's so much that I can pull from that in my life that will like never stop unfolding over my life. Yeah. Right. Like the fact that I have to have desire for the thing means that it starts within me. Like yeah. my desire for that thing is already, it, it. it's that thing being me. Love it.
1: Yes. And, and that's actually what I think is really interesting is that this idea that desire is prior to intellect. Because we might think that desire actually comes after intellect. But the idea is that the desire comes before anything. That's what I think. Yeah. Desire comes before anything.
0: Yeah. That's really good.
1: Yeah. It's very interesting.
0: And it's like, it's one of those things that's like, sure, it's theoretical, but like, if I actually try to apply that to my life, it will make my life better. Yeah. Like, it's practical too.
1: I use a metaphor of, um, like making art to describe yes. divine process, because it's like, I'm an artist too. And it's like, when I wanna make something, the first thing that happens is the, is the feeling, it's a feeling, it's like, I have this desire, like I want to make something. And then you're like, oh, I, 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 it's like you get this desire and then you see kind of like this image kind of floating in your mind's eye. And then the mind takes over and it's like, okay, well then what needs to happen? In order for this image to come together and you need to think about, you know, okay, well, I guess I need to go to the art store. You know, it's like literally like this, yeah. like, <laughs> reality, right? I need to get all these supplies. I need to look up these reference images. I need to draw it out. And then you need to do it. <laughs> and then you actually have to do it. <laughs> Action, yeah. Korea, right? And so it's like we replicate this divine process in our microscopic lives, like every moment. Yeah. Even when you know you want to act out the drama and the physical in one of your rituals, this process is also occurring within right. something like
0: that. Or if I'm just like, even if I'm just like going and getting a piece of cheese, like yeah,
1: that's,
0: literally. That's
1: just, <laughs> it really is. <laughs> <laughs> no, right. It's yeah. mundane. It's totally yeah. mundane.
0: That is yeah. like the but that is like, yeah, it's totally mundane, but it's also the quest for God finding God. Nightbirds, I hope you've been enjoying the conversation so far, and there's more to come. But first, I have to ask that you support the show. As I'm sure you've noticed, there are no commercials on this show. There are no paywalls. You get everything up front. For there to be free dialogue, I think it must remain uncaged by the interests of advertisers. But Nightbird Radio does cost time and money to make, and your support means I can spend less time delivering pizza and more time doing this. That's a win-win. So that's why Nightbird Radio is a value-for-value podcast. I hope you found value in this show, but I can't and won't dictate how much. Only you can decide that. But what I can do is invite you to take that value, turn it into a number, and head to nightbirdpodcast.com, navigate to the Support the Show page, and donate. We're also listed on podcastindex.org which means you're able to send Bitcoin via the Lightning Network using your favorite Podcasting 2.0 apps, which can be found at newpodcastapps.com. I also accept services and dry goods in trade. There are many forms in which value is stored, after all. Email me at tim at nightbirdpodcast.com for more information. Sponsors will get a special mention at the top of the show. Thank you for your generous support. But it, so it's interesting too, because I think, uh, we, okay, we can go and like, I could talk about this theory stuff all day because I love it. Um, but I do want to ask you and I'm going to put a pin in what we were just talking about. Cause I'll try to come back to it. But, um, I did want to ask you like how you like, have you always been on a spiritual path? Oh, obviously like that's kind of a silly question. Cause like we all are, whether we know it or not. Right. But like, has this always been something that you were interested in or was there like, um, kind of a gradual process or a moment? Um, like for me, I always thought I was on it and then I like really got on it and I was like, okay. Um, I was just like kind of playing games before.
1: <laughs> yeah, oh, no, oh, yeah, that's real. Yeah. Um, I was an ardent atheist until I was 19 years old. Okay. Like- Richard Dawkins like so cringy like very much science is the only way like that was me until I was 19 and um I actually really like that that was my experience (laughs) because I think now I can talk to that experience and other people And it's not that I think everyone shouldn't be an atheist. People should do whatever they want. Right. But it's, it are a lot of people who feel that the mechanistic worldview that we've been given isn't enough and they get really confused and I've been there. And so Mm -hmm. I feel glad that I had that experience because now I can speak to those kinds of people more compassionately. Um, but the reason why I was an atheist and this is something that, um, I don't think I've ever heard anyone else talk about it like this, except for me, but I know that I'm not alone ever since I started talking about it like this. Um, the reason why I was an atheist was because, um, it was me responding to kind of like the conditions of my upbringing. Yeah. And so I had a parent who told me every single day that I was an idiot. Like, I had a really mean mom. She was really mean to me. And she was constantly undermining my intelligence. And it was her own fucking problem, right? Like, she was... I mean, who does that to a child? That's, like, so fucking bad. And so she undermined my intelligence, basically, when I was a kid. And I vowed in myself to prove her wrong, basically. And so I and and so there's that. And then there's also like um, the 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 worldview that we are offered as Americans in kind of like normative Christianity is so fucking unintelligent that it's like an insult to our intelligence as people, I think.
0: Yeah. And it's not even really like a um, I would say that it's almost like also materialistic in its scope like to say mm-hmm. that like it's like i just didn't find much spiritual about it even though it said like this book was like literal
1: yeah no and 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 i think we both know that there's other emanations of christianity that are more intelligent right like rosicrucianism and gnosticism like there are other strains of christianity that are offering something different but the one that the average person is presented to in american culture is like insulting to our intelligence yeah anyone and, who's, like, really thinking about shit is like this is not the explaining story that i want to participate in
0: well and it gets to the point where like for me and we're i'm i don't want to interrupt your story too much but <laughs> it does get to the point for me where i'm like this is a hit job. Like this is like, because you, I can see like the beauty of what Christianity can actually be. And especially like early Christianity was just like a bunch of goths hanging out in graveyards with bones and stuff, you know, like really cool shit. And that's all just basically taken out of it. Whitewash it, take away the divine feminine. And um, cause I was a Methodist and it's like, that is the most watered down shit. Like let, let's all sing a uh, very, um, you know, like, just like that i don't
1: know yeah no Um, no no. i feel like
0: and i even got some through there but anyway continue uh your story
1: oh yeah so anyhow the point that i was trying to make is that mean mom undermining my intelligence compounded with the unintelligent narrative that i was presented with in normative christianity to create the perfect conditions for me to become a fucking atheist like of course that happened to me because I was trying to prove my mom wrong and so what do you do when you're in middle school and you're trying to be smart you learn about science <laughs> and so I started like learning about you know just like what do smart people learn about you know what I mean and so I just took that um system of knowledge and um fit myself into it right and so within this sort of the the system of knowledge of materialist science which i'm not anti-science at all but it's like within that particular worldview um even just the average person who's in that worldview it's like if it can't can't be quantified it doesn't exist right Right, that's like a pretty simple understanding that the average person would have and so obviously i was like we can't prove god so god not real right and so like Mm -hmm. that was just where i was at right and I think that's like, it makes sense that I felt that way. <clears throat> and then, um,
0: yeah. So then what happened?
1: I had an, ex- well, yes, things happened. Like something happened, obviously, because now I'm like, I'm not just like, and not atheist. I'm literally surrounded by pictures of saints in my office. Hell like, yeah.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, as one does, I was going to say, if you just look over there, I have like a whole blown altar with, yeah, go ahead.
1: No, I have an altar <laughs> on my desk. Like, no, like, it's like, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I'm a theist. This and band
0: so, has more altars in it than most uh American Christian churches do. <laughs> oh my,
1: <totally. laughs> and so I'll try to go through this pretty quick. But basically, what happened was is um I had an experience when I was 19 when I was living, I left home to go to college and I was living with a bunch of um girls in this two bedroom apartment, as you do when you're 18. And I, um, they were all believers. Like they were all Christian. And I was just in a totally different place. I moved across the country and I was little, I know it all, atheists, totally, totally obnoxious. And I reacted to them and I was like having this whole thing where I was trying to, I was like, it's my mission to prove them wrong. I'm like, this is so fucking embarrassing, but this was also like 12 years ago. And I was very different. Okay. And um, there was one night when I was literally in my bed and I was on YouTube. Like, I swear to God, like listening to like Richard Dawkins or some shit. I don't remember who it was, but I was like listening to some lecture. And all of a sudden I remember I can picture it so clearly. I was like looking across the room and then there was like my closet And all of a sudden, I started having this experience. Okay, the only way I can describe this, somebody who's listening, maybe you will understand what I mean by this, but I started having an experience of experiencing.
0: Mm, Yes, I do know. All
1: of a sudden, I was like, yo, this is like actually happening. And then I was like looking at the things in my closet and I was like, I'm actually like looking at these things. Yeah. And then it like spiraled or like got bigger and smaller at the same time. And all of a sudden, I was having this kind of like dissociative experience where, where like I couldn't tell if anything was real or not. And I was just to- dead sober, by the way. Yeah. And I was just, like in my bed having a fucking experiencing the experience experience. And all of a <laughs> sudden, I kind of, like, snapped out of it. I love it. And I was like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> And then I, the weird thing was, is I remember shortly after that happened, me and my roommate like went to some restaurant or something to get dinner. And I remember feeling like so clear. It was really weird. Like, like just totally clear. I was like speaking clearly, like my brain, it felt like someone hit the reset button on my brain or something. And that actually the after effect of the experience was more impacting than the experience itself because yeah. I was like, Why? Feel so much better after that experience. So
0: often the experience is just like, I'm gonna go to m- back to sleep or make a sandwich or something. And then like, <laughs> yeah,
1: because
0: it's almost like un- you can't process it maybe immediately.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah, totally. Oh my god, that's like a whole thing in itself because it's it's almost like um a tradition that I'm very interested in is Sufism. So like mystical oh, Islam. I
0: love it. Yeah, yeah.
1: And one of the things so they would describe um, one of you when you do a spiritual practice or when you have a spiritual experience, you don't just want to go into ordinary life immediately afterwards so that you just squash it. What you want to do is taste it and drink it. That's the language of the tradition. And so that's when you have the spiritual experience. And instead of just opening the fridge and eating a piece of cheese, you like stop for a second and you're like, whoa, how has this impacted my being? Yeah how do I actually feel right now compared to how I felt before and like really feel it. Right. And so I do think that I was tasting and drinking the experience afterwards. And that's why it had an impact on me.
0: Yeah. And I like that a lot. That's really good because, um, I feel like integrating the experience is the difference between like, because, Okay. It's good because it was one of the questions I was going to ask you was like, how do you have a a spiritual awakening and then like go buy groceries? You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like, how do you have this in like an intense initiation experience? Mm -hmm. Like, which is what I would describe what you had and then, you know, go pay your bills like what? Mm -hmm. And so you're you're getting to it there, right? Because Mm -hmm. if I... I think that and I'm just spitballing here but that may be the difference and I can only speak from my own experience would be the difference between me like kind of maybe maybe becoming more unmoored in reality and actually becoming it like deeper and deeper incarnated into this reality does that make sense like the integration true. itself
1: Yeah. Well, so have you heard the term like integral in regards to spirituality?
0: No, I haven't.
1: So like integral spirituality, I think like this became a bigger thing in the lexicon um, because of someone called Aurobindo, Sri Aurobindo. And he was a yogi and he um, put forward this, this kind of integral language into the spiritual world. And a lot of people have started to say like, oh, this is an integral tradition, blah, 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 blah. And what integral means is the integration of the transcendent and the imminent. Mm. And so you the point of the, the practice itself is to integrate this, that, that which is beyond the world and that which is the world, so to speak, even though there's no higher and lower in reality. Right.
0: right. Yeah. It's all
1: right. And so, um, I think that, um, this this how do you just go to the grocery store, you know, after having these sorts of experiences? Um, obviously, there's all sorts of things that could happen for a person to try to integrate the experience, but it ultimately, I think the outcome of any spiritual experience should be this integral thrust where it's not like we're just trying to ascend to heaven right and just go the world. Yeah. We're trying spiritual to bypass on earth. Right. So, yeah. how do we actually do that? And then that's what a, our religious framework is ideally supposed to do.
0: <laughs> ideally, right? <laughs> right.
1: Ideally, it doesn't happen all the time, but sometimes it does. Right. Yeah.
0: And it's great when it does, because um, yeah. I, I I can give more examples. You know, from mine. Um, so just like assuming you know you don't know anything about me, which is probably true. Oh, that's true. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would Love to know more
1: about you. Um,
0: I did. Absolutely. Um, so I began this process. Um, when I was, so I'm sober now, I, um, am like an addict and an alcoholic and I, but I began this process of kind of coming back into just like the life of the spirit is what I would call it. Right. Like, um, which is like, I was never gone, but I just like the fact that if I believe I'm not there, I might as well not be there, but it's it may be an arbitrary distinction, but it was important for me. Mm-hmm. And I had a um, a near death experience, uh, uh, overdosing on heroin, oh. and so I didn't. You know, I did have a a moment where I kind of integrated that, but then I kind of just went back to doing what I was doing. Like it took a very long time for that to unfold in my life, and so I continued on, and and I got became very involved in uh, magic. And in, like, trying to force the outcome of my reality, Mm -hmm. um, control other people, um, get what I wanted, uh, all that stuff, right? And the reason I bring this up is because I was having these experiences, and I was on a lot of drugs, too. um, But I was having experiences that went beyond the scope of what I and mad Imag- like of what I understood that drugs could do even mm-hmm. so right you know what I mean like experiencing um and it, you know I have <laughs> I still have some physical proof of this stuff like experiencing like these synchronicities that were making like I was basically like losing my mind right
1: yeah for
0: sure um my my refusal to sort of soberly look at what was going on Led me deeper and deeper into this kind of illusion until it shattered so much mm-hmm. that I was forced to, mm-hmm. to integrate it. Right, mm-hmm. and I can look back now with immense gratitude because that doesn't always happen to people. Uh, a mm-hmm. lot of the times they don't make it through something like that, yeah. uh, as we as we know. You know. No, um, true. And so it's just interesting because I can see the hand of something else at play there. Um, I might have taken us off topic, but yeah, I think that like, and so once I finally did, um, I was, I had no choice because I went to jail for like three months. Um, And all I had, all I could do was just sit there and look at my life. (laughs) So that was like a monastic experience for me.
1: It sounds to me like you are saying that you feel that there is a hand that forces us to integrate at some point.
0: Yes. Want to hang out with other night birds and soapheads for only five dollars a month? You can gain access to the Polytechnic of the Numenots, a private Discord server for artists, animists, and searchers that brings together the Nightbird Radio and Soapbox Podcast communities. Just click the link I've provided in the show notes to get started. Now let's get back to the conversation. What do you think about that?
1: Oh, I I totally think that that's the case. Um, I think the the hand that is forcing these things is the evolutionary process.
0: Ooh, I like that a lot.
1: Yeah. And so in my tradition, we have a really big emphasis on this idea of the evolutionary process. And I think that that's lacking in a lot of spiritual worldviews because there can just be this view. perhaps like referencing like Advaita Vedanta, yeah. which is like this view that everything's just an illusion. The only thing that's real is Brahman. Yeah, But this whole world that we're in is actually an illusion. And there's no emphasis. And with that being the idea, there's no evolution doesn't really matter. Evolution is just like um, what we've been mired with in this physical realm or something. But from our idea, God who, um, had this desire to create a universe like okay like what's the point of creating the fucking universe in that desire is um this desire to experience more and more of itself more and more of the potentialities within itself and so in this exploration there's an evolutionary process and what the evolutionary process leads to is there being more and more heaven on earth so to speak so there's more and more awareness of god there's more and more revealment of all of this being the divine dancing in itself. Right. Yeah. And so the evolutionary process claims from my perspective, that awareness of God is the inevitable outcome of everything.
0: Mm, yeah, like like
1: an awareness of God, like, like it's the inevitable outcome of all souls to become saints actually.
0: Yeah. I love it. The
1: inevitable outcome of everyone to become a great Yogi, so to speak. Right. I'm just yeah. using the language. Yeah, yeah. And so um I think that um this hand that forces us to integrate, that's the evolutionary process.
0: Mm, I like that's that. the
1: evolutionary process.
0: And I think that, you know, and I, I talk about this a lot on this podcast, and um, so I'm probably the regular listeners are like taking another drink because they have a game or something, or every time <laughs> I <laughs> every time I say this, but um I think that um that these things used to be a lot more um, like we had systems and they do in other parts of the world, they do have it. It's not like it was ever lost. Right. But in the West, this kind of system for this evolution, like to Mm -hmm. make it, um, I don't want to use the word streamlined so much, but it is a little more streamlined, right? Like, like a process of initiation, a process of, of like having teachers that will bring us through this is like what leads to things like, my initiation journey, which was totally, um, what would you call it? Um, dangerous and chaotic, right? Like at, at the very least, um, I was initiated, but like the world initiated me because we don't mm. have like, uh, as much of a structure for this. What's yeah. your opinion on that?
1: Um, well, huh. Interesting. So, um, I actually gave a talk, like a month ago, about initiation, like as a concept. And I was talking about the difference between formal initiation and like initiation by life.
0: Mm, Yeah, okay, perfect.
1: There's like these two things, right? And so, um, well, actually, it's kind of interesting. Tonight, I'm giving a talk about navigating spirituality as a white person, Eastern spirituality as a white person, excuse me. Just because that's a contentious issue, obviously, sure. yeah. I'm a white person practicing an Eastern religion, right? So I'm going to talk about my experience and what that means. Um, but there's um, open traditions and there's closed traditions. I promise I'm leading this somewhere, okay. No, you're good. <laughs> and uh, closed tradition, some people think that means that outsiders are never allowed. The only thing that that means is that it requires initiation to really say that you're practicing this thing, right? Okay. And with that in mind the Eucharist at church is a closed tradition.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: Nobody's talking about this. Everybody thinks, oh, white people should just be Christian. It's like, well, actually, it's a closed tradition. You have to be baptized. Like, nobody's thinking about it like this, right? And so when it comes to, like, that's formal initiation. This is why I'm bringing this up, right? Yeah. And then there's initiation by life. And so when I would say that, I would say that um, there's a this hand that's forcing us is the evolutionary process. And another word that I would, or another phrase I would use to describe this is the spiritual process. Yeah, There's a spiritual process that occurs in all traditions everywhere that is either a distorted version of this or a true transmission of this, which is this kind of um, process that we must go through. And it's like you said it yourself. It's like, oh, maybe you need to find a teacher or maybe you need to like do these certain practices or get initiation or all these things. There's all these different cogs in the spiritual process machine. But um, the, the life itself sometimes is what is initiating us in yeah. this process. And a, an example from the Western occult is the elemental trials. Have you ever heard of this?
0: Uh, I haven't. No, but I'd like to hear about it.
1: So I don't know exactly where it comes from, but there's Rudolf Steiner talked about it. And um, it's kind of like the initiate. He always uses the word like the spiritual aspirant is known as the initiate. Yeah. And so the initiate is pre- when they start taking the serious spiritual process seriously, this doesn't just happen randomly. It's always after you start taking it seriously, Yeah. they will be presented with different trials. And so the trial of air no, the trial of fire is an example is um, somebody you work with starts slandering you mm. or something. Yeah. It's like people start speaking out against you. And what you have to do to pass the test is handle it with grace.
0: See, this is you so interesting speak. because this happens naturally in people's spiritual journeys. Like you can see it. Yes. I'm going to have to look into that. It's really cool.
1: I can send you an article. Yeah, that please. I'm describing it. So trial of fire is somebody speaking out against you and you, and you pass the test when you don't throw fire back. Yeah, You just handle it gracefully. Okay. This is just an example. Yeah. The trial of water is, um, suddenly things in your life start going like fucking crazy. Yeah. And so the way that you pass the trial of water is you go with the flow. Mm. You fix things as they go, but you don't fight everything falling apart. Yeah. Okay. And so this is just examples. And so I think that um, life itself will initiate us no matter what. But then there's the reality of, okay, well, what actually works and how serious do we want to be? And sometimes the things that actually work are when we are working with a tradition, when we are working with a teacher, when we are like doing these more serious things, um, that literally has a higher efficacy rate than just going on your own, in my opinion. Yeah. If we're really talking about efficacy... (laughs)
0: right well and one of the cool things is that there um there are so many ways to do that and like and you know obviously like a physical teacher is like well we're having a physical experience so it's probably a good thing to have one or two of those at some point but there are also spirits
1: that will aid us
0: in this and that's one of the really cool things like
1: Mm
0: -hmm. because i didn't like I too went to like a, a long phase of atheism. Mine was a, like kind of a reaction against the church mm, and yeah. stuff that happened in church. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I kind of came back around to this and was like, Oh shit. Like I got extra friends. Like there's a whole like posse of people that care about my well being that I'm yeah. traveling around with. You know what I
1: mean? Your
0: yes. Yeah. 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 My team. Right. And some of them are ancestors or some of them are, you know, maybe like people I knew in some other life that like, you know, made a pact of some kind, all kinds of stuff. Right. I don't even know. Like everyone has their own different thing going on. Saints, um, mm-hmm. angels.
1: Um,
0: I know you mentioned that you uh, had uh were surrounded by saints.
1: Yeah. I literally have pictures. I have a picture of a nun to my mom, my desk. Hell yeah. <laughs> All Indian saints. Actually, I have a picture of Hazrat Naikan, who's a Sufi saint. But I, I'm I'm a yogi, so I have like all this in, Indian influence around me. But
0: yeah, 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 it's good. I yeah, like I'm it.
1: really, really into teachers. Actually, really into teachers. Yeah,
0: and I there's something to be said about um a teacher that is willing to still teach after they die. Like that's that's you know like
1: hear that. I hear that. Yeah, there's actually, um, so here's a picture. This is my living teacher, and then that was his guru. And his guru was someone called Dhyanyogi Madhusudandas, And he actually died temporarily when he was like 100 years old or something. And when he died, this is the story that he told. When he died, um, he met Lord Ram, who was his Devata, his chosen deity and lord Ram said you can't die yet and he was like oh okay and lord Ram was like you can't die yet because you want to help people too much still
0: <laughs>
1: and so I he brought it. him back to life and he lived another 16 years he was like 100 years old when oh, he wow. died 116 and he came to america actually shortly after that and started working with western western disciples um but I just think that's so pure <laughs> that yeah. that somebody could have this experience where they die. It's like, God is like, no, 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 you care too much about people. You have to go back and keep helping people <laughs> yeah. and then you can die. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, but these saints, and that's actually, that's the whole reason why I'm into saints is because they, they are here incarnate, either in the astral or physical to help us. Yeah. I really believe it. I do too. Right.
0: 100%. Yeah. And it's, um, it's one of those things that's like, um, there's a Carl Jung, when someone asked Carl Jung, like, does he believe in God? He said, I don't believe, I know. Yes. I just know. And when I think um, there's something about like Mighty Dead and just like the the uh, the relationship with the dead that I think is like one of the, that's mm-hmm. like starter pack human um religious like (laughs) starter pack human spirituality is like we revere our dead like that was like you know they find like multiple thousand year old um remains you know i'm whatever like and it's going to be like a dead body with like some flowers and that's how they like they use that as a benchmark for like for spiritual um practice yes it's like one of the first things they find and um
1: like this is deep shit yeah ancestor veneration
0: i love it one of the biggest like most like a lot of what i do is that Mm -hmm. um Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and so you know that's interesting that you tell that story because um what happened to me um when i died was Mm -hmm. i saw an old i was in the woods and saw an old man with one eye and a wide-brimmed hat and um like i woke up and my like wife at the time was like beating on my chest and said i had gone blue and um i was screaming odin odin and so like that was just like i always thought odin was like a cool god you know what i mean like i was just always into that mythology because i was always into mythology but then later uh when i looked into my ancestry that is like a god of my that my ancestors revered going way back when because like I've just like all sides of my family are like German, Northern European ancestry
1: mm-hmm. and
0: continuing to kind of like follow that thread and pull on that thread and work with that deity um, it blurs the line between like gods and ancestors, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, totally. totally. Like
0: there are spirits that we've walked with for so long that they consider us their children. Like I do think this.
1: Hmm. I think that gods and deities are personifications of certain divine principles that are like beyond their kind of Odin-ness. Yes. You know, there's yeah, like yeah, Odin-ness yeah. And there's like the, the principle that Odin is trying to communicate to us.
0: Yeah, totally. Totally. and Beyond, and-
1: beyond anything.
0: It's interesting too because that that being exists in the myth too. Um it's like an mm-hmm. older god called Od. And it's mm-hmm. like also odd is the word for like um a fury that leads to enlightenment. Like, oh wow. Cool. Yeah, right? Like so but that's okay, so that that does bring me back to kind of the idea of like the where gods and ancestors sort of coalesce because if everything kind of came from that um initial source and, and God kind of split until, you know, you and I are here. Yeah. Then God is an ancestor because. Yes. <laughs> you know, like obviously.
1: <laughs> Wait, that's so good. I literally never thought of it like
0: that. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy. That's yeah. I love it.
1: I, I think. Of, that.
0: And the stars are the same way. Right. So like, yeah. since right? the st- like, if you look at it scientifically, you can look at it straight up scientifically and still come to that conclusion because. If we uh, like, if all all matter is forged in the furnace of stars, mm-hmm. um, then the stars are our ancestors.
1: Oh my god, I love this. This is very inspiring. I like this way of looking at it. I'd never thought of it like this. This is good.
0: Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad. Uh, happy to share it because mm-hmm. um, I spend a lot of time with them. You know, um, for anyone listening that is on the fence about this, like because there is a lot of like there's some baggage to this and people think oh, that like, Oh, so you know, like, Oh, my ancestors did bad things. Well, like, oh, well, then, okay. mm-hmm. then they need you even more to like pray for them. Like,
1: no, totally. But actually there's a whole other view. Okay. So this is like a whole thing with um the, the white experience, which makes a lot of sense where I think there's a lot of white people, you know, we have our own burdens that we have to un- un- untie as we try to make a more just world, right? Yeah. But I think in the white experience when it comes to spirituality, like there's so many hang-ups hang around ancestor veneration. And people are like I don't want to venerate my ancestors. They were colonizers. Like they were slave owners, which may have been true. <laughs> that absolutely could have been true. And there's a whole other view that's um I actually learned from like one of the most powerful hoodoo practitioners in Denver where she was like everybody's and she's not white <laughs> and she was like everybody needs to shut the fuck up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> i love it i'm with her
1: <laughs> she, and she was like she was like our ancestors aren't fixed beings yeah like they're not like these it's not like you die and then like there's no more evolution of the soul like she's like our ancestors actually when they die and they lose the body they actually have time perhaps for the first time in their existence to self reflect on what they have done in their life yes and actually a lot of people after they lose the body in the in the spirit realm grieve for their behavior yes. in this
0: realm. and they it. want
1: to do better they want to do better and so actually we have to have faith that our ancestors look at us and they're like oh my god thank you for doing better i couldn't do that when i yes had a body. we
0: show them we help that's like the that is the, um, this amazing opportunity of incarnation is that I can say, here's how. Yes. Like, like, and, and it's kind of what you were talking about, like in the trial of fire, right? Mm-hmm. Um, anytime that I react with temperance, uh, forbearance, um, mm-hmm. when I make merit or, do something kind just like, because it's just like what we do as humans. I have this opportunity to like, look at my ancestors and say, this is how this is done. And, and the cool thing about it is that it is my well ancestors that are allowing me to do those things Mm. so that I can show my unwell ancestors how to become well. So like I'm acting out that drama. That's the, the, What's Mm -hmm. the opposite of a burden? It's like the the opportunity of incarnation. Mm
1: -hmm. But it's Mm -hmm. a
0: very important place to be.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I think there's a lot of um, beliefs that people have that are just limiting their spiritual potential that people don't even think very deeply about. And I think that there's a lot of opportunities to kind of dispel our egos of knowledge even. It's actually very egoic of us to think, oh, I know that I shouldn't do ancestor veneration because my ancestors were bad.
0: Mm, Yeah,
1: people's ancestors are bad everywhere. White people aren't the only bad people, and I'm saying that as somebody who understands this fucking issue. But it's like, yeah, been bad since forever. Like it's totally.
0: It's it's well, we're all human beings, right? And we (laughs) all have like varying degrees of like. And like, think about back in those times when like there wasn't. Okay, so. One of the most eye-opening experiences I had was during a um, – there's a technique uh, by Dr. Daniel Four. I don't know if you've heard of him. That's uh, He has a book called um, Ancestral Healing It's or Ancestral Medicine, I think. It's great. But um, part of it is like you do these journeys and, and like – so you kind of do them with a, a facilitator at first. I'm kind of like a DIY guy. So like I did one and then I was like, oh, I know how to do this now. <laughs> you know what I mean? um that's just who i am i'm a chaos magician so it's just like yeah i'm gonna do that um anyway so one of the most um profound experiences i had during one of these journeys and this actually was one that was with a a facilitator um steve niner i've had him on the show um and i was i wasn't getting much he was having me look at a line at an ancestral line Mm -hmm. and All he does is pretty much just like tells me what to look at and reminds me to kind of keep myself um, Mm -hmm. detached emotionally and try to look at it objectively. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't see much. And he was kind of just like guiding me to kind of just relax and it's okay, just see what you see. Mm -hmm. And what I ended up seeing was a boat crossing the ocean. And I began weeping and bawling um, with just this immense sorrow at like what I was leaving behind and i could see the land spirits of the place that i was leaving and that severing was like heart rending i was like and i so i experienced these emotions and i told him about it and i thought about it afterwards and it really put a lot into perspective for me because like these people that might be seen as colonizers they're really just like being pushed across the board by empire mm, yes yes and you know, like they didn't necessarily want to come and leave the land spirits that they had been one with at one point either.
1: Oh my God. Totally. Jesus. Yeah. That's a crazy point.
0: And so it's, it's all just like, I know it's, this is a cliche, but it's like people that got hurt, hurting other people.
1: Yeah. No, real.
0: real. And that's what we have an opportunity to, um, kind of get square with like i can sure. kind of clean up my side of the street in that and it's yeah. kind of awesome like uh contempt prior to investigation this is a concept um that i get from aa oh, and okay. in, in the in the book uh the big book of alcoholics anonymous it says um one of the greatest sins we found to be well uh contempt prior to investigation and that's when i have i Talk down on something before I've even tried it. <laughs>
1: oh my God! Yeah, wow, that's wild. Contempt prior to investigation. Yeah, that's real. Damn, my partner is twelve years sober, and so I've heard about all kinds of stuff with AA and and things like this. And he thinks that AA is like totally like an occult school. Like it is. the or- it
0: totally is. There's a lineage and everything. Like I have a lineage of sponsors going back to the first people.
1: Yes, no, I think it
0: is. And but it's interesting because the 12 steps are just totally purloined from various different traditions and religions. And they were just like, well, we just need something that works because we're going to die, you know, (laughs) and like, that's an amazing teacher. Like now I look at that with gratitude, like my addiction is my greatest teacher and fear is my compass.
1: Yeah. Like, yeah, like that, that hand is forcing something through that experience.
0: Right, just like you were talking about. Um yeah. so let's talk a little bit more about you. Um what were you afraid of as a child? I think you might have touched okay. on it a little um, bit, but maybe it's different. I don't know.
1: I don't know. Well, you can you can mirror back to me what I said, but um I think when I was a kid I was most afraid of the um when I'd be asleep at night and then I would like wake up and and my room was really scary because it was dark. Mm, and yeah. like the pile of clothes in the corner was like somebody watching me or something like I would get super spooked or I was like super afraid of um aliens like oh I would, like, me like too. aliens like were like watching me through my window I had a lot of like paranoid stuff when, when I was a kid and it makes sense because I had uh, a parent who had really terrible boundaries with me <laughs> yeah. in regards to being constantly watched in very Mm. inappropriate ways. And so uh, I kind of um, took that experience and mythologized it in my own way Mm. and was like, oh, aliens are watching me, you know, that sort of a thing. But definitely, like, and I still kind of have this experience as an adult. I've worked through a lot of it, but I get a little spooked in the dark in my room. (laughs) I get a little spooked. But the way that I relate with that feeling now is actually just based in, in, in the experience of fear at all. What, what does fear do? Fear is a really interesting experience because it it, um, it completely distorts reality. And so fear turns the pile of clothes into a person. Yeah. And you're like, that person is fucking there. And your body's having a response and your mind is having a response, but it's not actually there.
0: But experience is real. And so even if it's not there, the experience is real. Right. Um, Yeah, that's it's wild what fear can do.
1: But there's all these um, spiritual concepts as well, like Rudolf Steiner um, in his occult path. One of the first things that the initiate needs to learn how to change their relationship to is fear. Yeah. And when you look at the really, really big picture, the reason why you need to eliminate fear is because when you cross the abyss, you will fall into the abyss if you're still afraid of it.
0: Mm, That's really good.
1: So you have to learn how to change your relationship to fear, not eliminate it.
0: Right. My relationship.
1: When is fear real? When is it useful? When is it not useful? And those are really serious. questions.
0: Those are really, and I have been going through that recently because I was, and especially like the last couple of years have caused this to become even more intense. Like, Fuck fear. I'm going to not have any of it anymore. (laughs) And um, of course, that didn't really happen. But what I've come through learning is like what you're saying. um, Fear can be incredibly useful for me because fear. There be dragons means I haven't gone there yet. (laughs) So if, if I want to expand my spiritual life and if I want to expand my experience, and have a new experience and a different experience than I've had before, then the dragons are showing me exactly where I need to go. It's the, um, it's the, and I use this quote a lot too. This is another bingo card one for me probably, but uh, the Joseph Campbell, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek.
1: Yes. Yeah. It sounds like you're saying fear can be like a compass.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: In the direction we need to go in. Yeah, absolutely.
0: When I can, and I think, there are probably some pre um, requisites for me for that. Like there are many things that I probably need. And this is just speaking for myself, but you might find that you have the same experiences. There are things that I need to be doing in my daily practice to make sure that that is my relationship to fear. Like, mm. like cultivating an awareness practice of any kind. Right. Otherwise, it can it could probably be dangerous. I don't know. Um, oh wow! What isn't? But
1: oh, so a quote that's coming up in my head when you're saying this is a, it's a Sufi quote, and it was spoken by a saint called Rabia of Basra, who was one of the first female Sufi saints. Oh, very cool! And she was famous for saying, "Oh God, if I worship you for fear of hell, then throw me in hell. Mm. If I worship you for want of heaven, then close heaven's gates." But if I worship you just for the joy of it without anything in return, then please do not like ta- um, leave anything from me or something. Yeah. So I think that can be like a really reorienting thing when it's like, are we just eliminating fear because we want something or are we eliminating fear because for, you know, do you see what I mean? It's like we constantly yeah. have to ourselves like get really I, fucking with ourselves.
0: That's why I call it navigation because I constantly have to be checking different I hate the word data almost at this point, but like I have, it's useful. I have to be checking all these different, like I'm navigating, like what's the wind doing? What's the water doing? What time of day is it? What stars are showing what it's navigation. And so I have to kind of constantly be checking. And this may be kind of just my own mercurial way. Mercury is like huge in my chart. So, you know, I'm very like,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you can, you just hear it in my voice. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um no, I like that a lot. I'm gonna have to check that out. Very cool. Um so how about um so you had that experience of experiencing? Yeah. How long did it take you to kind of follow that or maybe pull on that thread? Was it an immediate thing or, or tell me a little bit about. Sure. Um,
1: So the way I described this whole process of like coming out of atheism was that um, there were a series of cracks in the dam of my false sense of knowing.
0: Mm, I love that.
1: And so that experience of the experience was the first crack in the dam. Yeah. Okay. And then it just was there. The crack was just there. Okay. And I, I tasted and drunk the situation, so I didn't forget about it. But the crack was in the dam, right? And nobody was coming to fix it. (laughs) And um, basically what happened was, is I had an environmental awakening, actually. I was living in Southern California and I'm from the East Coast originally where you walk or ride your bike everywhere. And then all of a sudden I moved somewhere where you have to drive to do literally anything. And I, and I I could not stand it. I just couldn't stand it. And so I ended up having this whole environmental awakening when I was there. And it led me to drop out of school and become a farmer. Oh, I was nice. like, "Fuck this!" I was like, "Fuck this!" This is all so stupid. Like, academia is stupid. Art is stupid. I don't feel that way anymore. But I was eighteen. Okay, yeah. <laughs> art is stupid. I think it's
0: that—that's uh, a valuable uh, exploration.
1: Well, it can be really self-centered, right? I mean, that's pretty okay. obvious.
0: So much <laughs> can, right? <laughs> <laughs> and
1: so I was like, "Art is useless. Art isn't doing anything. Like, what's what's useful? Farming, growing food, like." participating in like the grit of life like i was like that's what's really useful and so i um dropped out of school and i used to i used to have swedish citizenship nothing bad happened it's just a stupid story and i went to sweden to work on a farm okay
0: cool very cool (laughs) and
1: um i uh that's where the crack in the dam just started getting fucking huge because i grew up outside of Philadelphia in like a suburb right outside the city where like my exposure to nature was like pretty minimal. It was like, there's like parks and shit. Okay. Like I didn't, I didn't have like a nature upbringing. Okay. And going to this farm was the first time that like, I was even introduced to the way that fucking and nature works like period. Right. Yeah. And so I saw, like I remember, like there were like all these um grow tunnels for like tomatoes and like all this stuff. And there was like a tunnel that was just full of seedling trays where you're gonna do transplants. Right.
0: Yeah.
1: And I saw like a tomato plant just like like germinating in its seed casing. And I was just like, this shit's fucking crazy. And like that sounds so stupid, but I was like. How the fuck does a tomato come out of this tiny seed? That makes no fucking sense to me. And I was like, this is crazy. And then I knew that there was a scientific explanation, but for some reason, it just didn't hit anymore. Like, for some reason, I was like, the scientific explanation for how a a whole ass tomato plant comes out of the seed is actually not cutting it for me anymore. Yeah. That was not cutting it for me anymore and so i started having all this was like a three-month period of traveling around um to different farms where i just started learning more about ecology and i was just basically like humbled by the intelligence of nature
0: yeah
1: the thing that started to happen was the seed casing um the like the act of making compost this shit's crazy Like all of this stuff, like um, permaculture, which is the replication of ecosystems on a farm and like all these things, um, just the way that trees arrange themselves so perfectly in a forest and like all of this stuff. Mycelium
0: and like all the stuff, the information that travels over that. Like
1: oh, I wasn't even there yet. Like that's like, (laughs) that's like next level shit. But like, I literally just could not shake this feeling that there was something intelligent at work in life. Like the the something was alive, something was there was some almost like a cognitive process at work that was orchestrating all of these things that was totally in friction with like a lifeless, insentient genetic mutation worldview. Like yeah. that just like stopped cutting it for me, basically. And so, basically, the the dam just started. Like the dam just fucking just dis- like was destroyed, basically. By this intelligence in nature. And then, well, actually, no, that's not when the dam was destroyed. The dam was destroyed when I actually moved to England when I was 20 years old to um, study biodynamic agriculture, which is Rudolf Steiner's agriculture. And um, I basically just went, the hand of God sent me there. Like, I basically, like, only went because my aunt was an anthroposophist. And she was like, oh, you're into agriculture. My son did this program in England. You should go do it. And I was like, cool. Like, I like didn't even think that hard about it, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) And so I end up at this anthroposophical college in England. And literally, I had never been exposed to like, um, like people who are critical of science, but like in a very intelligent way. Yeah. And so I end up at the school and there's all these teachers that are giving lectures about like the limitations of a purely scientific worldview. And I remember like thinking to myself, like, where the fuck am I? Like, I was like, this is fucking crazy because we don't also want to, I don't want to also say that science denial isn't dangerous. We've got like climate deniers. We've got like all kinds of like, you know, dinosaurs were implanted by Satan, you know, like all those kind of shit. So My my red flags kind of went up a little bit when I first went there because it was so against my worldview. But then I met these two instructors um, who were teaching about a concept known as plant and animal phenomenology. And so phenomenology is like the study of the objects of the senses. It's like the study of like how we can actually know something to be true through the senses sort of. That's kind of a nutshell explanation. And so both of them kind of taught me about how to kind of read the, the read the landscape of nature as this like intelligent thing and how like God is like really orchestrating all of these things and how like there is this like spiritual impulse behind everything. And the dam just went fucking crumbling basically after I met these people because the thing that they offered me was a coherent system of knowledge that's totally stacks up that just happens to be separate from the system of knowledge that were presented as yeah. regular people right yeah.
0: yeah yeah and
1: i had never been shown like oh my god there could be a whole system of knowledge that is so coherent and totally makes sense that explains everything that hits me so much more than science ever did and it's separate and they're both valid in their own way but well, like yeah, i had but- never been exposed to that before
0: I love hearing that. And um, I personally think that like the, like Western civilization as a whole, or if you want to call it that (laughs) Western society as a whole is kind of going through that collectively right now. Um, But I think that the reason is because science, I don't think is um, meant to stand alone from all of these things. Like when you look at the history of science, it goes hand-in-hand hand with, like, spiritual... No. Um, totally. Right? Like, if you look at the... Um, if you look at alchemy, if you look at astrology and astronomy, those were, like, going hand-in-hand hand until there was, like, this split where it's, like, the um, the Enlightenment is really kind of what did this, where it's, like, none of this gets to hang out together anymore. Uh, and I think that's a tremendous loss. Like, the, like scientific inquiry and um spiritual exploration like go together better than anything in yeah. my opinion and just like this idea that they have to be separate i think is causing like um a mass break with reality <laughs> yeah.
1: no i actually i think like this would like cause so many fucking atheists to crawl on their skin but yeah. i feel like Scientific inquiry was at first a method to more deeply comprehend the glory of God. Yeah. Like that was the original it, impulse. Totally. Like we want to comprehend the glory of God. Let's try to study it. Let's try to understand how this world works, which is an emanation of God. Like yeah. that's the original impulse of science. And if you actually meet a real scientist, they just they're just curious about truth. Yeah. They just want to understand how reality works. You know, it's like <laughs>
0: Well, what is there's a I think it's a Richard <laughs> Feynman quote where he's like, um the first sip of the first sip of the natural sciences will lead you to atheism, but God is waiting at the bottom of the glass.
1: Oh my god, that's so fucking wild. I, I
0: really struggled to that, but that's that's the quote. If you can no, look it I up. get
1: it. That hit <laughs> That hit really hard. Yes. Yes. It's,
0: and I think any like really like if you because especially now, and it's it's nice to see because um Obviously, it's just nice to see but with like quantum physics and like uh this uh research into things like the field effects and and like what you know are we really like is matter really even like solid well no actually it's kind of like a a condensed field like all that kind of stuff is becoming now accepted again because the science is like showing that it's true but that stuff is like Oh, we've been knowing that.
1: No, everyone been knowing. <laughs> yeah. I know it's almost embarrassing.
0: Right, <laughs> almost. It's almost. <laughs> That's cool. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I um, I had a similar kind of experience. Um, I did community service at this urban farm in Atlanta, and um, I was just at this farm every day, and I didn't, you know, like I grew up in the suburbs, and like I didn't, I pretended to care about you know stuff like that but i didn't have any like hands-on experience with it but we made like compost and just like the whole process of compost and how it gets like hot it's so interesting and i've always been like i'm a cook by trade that's how i pay the bills Mm -hmm. and um i think that that's like a form of alchemy right and it's it's art too right like you're these processes that you're, you're presiding over are some amazing things. And they create these flavors that cause like oh my spiritual explosions in your face. Right. <laughs> and like, so compost to me really hit because I was like, Oh shit. Like it's all, and this is sounds so stupid, but like, Oh shit. It's all like alive. <laughs> like,
1: oh, right. It yeah. Breathes. Yeah no totally i think i even i've written because i've written about this experience a lot in myself and i had this feeling like the compost pile like whispered to me that Mm. even in death there is life like that's that's like what the compost pile is like telling us is like (laughs) that's the beautiful way of saying it and then another way of saying it is that compost is just trash that's working on itself
0: (laughs) (laughs) i love that that's good
1: but there's this evolutionary process, right? Yeah. It's like that's the thing. That's like the 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 substratum of everything is just this evolutionary impulse. It's like we're trying to create more life where there once once death and like all of this yeah. stuff.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's like it's it's there's something about it too that like because I would ask this guy, I, this dude was really cool, the farmer that I would work with all the time. His name was Artis, and he was Rastafarian. And um, I would ask him these questions that like he's like, who the fuck are you, dude? You're here on community service. Like, you know what I mean? Like, but I was I, I'm really into it. Um, but like, you know, things like, um, so they were making a ton of compost, like, a like literally tons. Yeah. And, uh, cause all the restaurants from around would bring all their, uh, scraps and stuff.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I was like, Otis is your act of making compost on this land Is it enriching like all of the land around it? And he would like he was great because he was like, dude, it's enriching the whole world. Yeah. You know, like we're creating the soil that we live on. Like we eat from it. Like it's we are not separate from this. No. It's just a fantastic experience. Um, yeah, I recommend that to anybody. Go fuck around with some compost.
1: Totally. No, I totally get it. Yeah. Anything that engenders more of a sense of interconnectivity is not a bad thing.
0: Right. Because, uh, yes, absolutely. And that's the reality. Like, that's the baseline reality is interconnectivity. And there's been so much that has created the illusion that that interconnectivity is not there. Yes. Um, yes. And I, it's hard to say what that is. I have my theories, but, you know, we don't even have to get into that. But the fact is true that, like, there's been a lot that has kind of shattered that idea of um, interconnectivity.
1: Well, yeah, totally. Um, It feels a bit like we've been set up to fail. Yes, 100%. Yeah. And I would say, like, the short explanation for my tradition is um, there's this paradox between the senses, where the five senses um, have been villainized in a lot of traditions, But the reason why is because our senses steal from us the awareness that we are connected to everything. Because your senses tell you, I'm a separate physical object. (laughs) Yeah. I'm a separate physical object. The smell comes from the thing outside of myself. The joy comes from the thing outside of myself because my senses are telling me that. But then there's a paradoxical nature where the senses are also gateways of worship. Because the senses are gates for God to come forward in our being in the form of the feeling. So there's like two things happening kind of at once. But this whole, this whole lack of awareness of interconnectivity actually entirely has to do with the senses.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's interesting too cuz now we can get on the topic of paradox if you want. I don't know. Oh,
1: paradox is my best friend.
0: Dude, it's And what you just said is like this great example of a paradox being like the gateway to actually the the deeper truth, right?
1: No, God lives inside of every paradox I have ever known. Yeah. She's just hanging out in there, waiting to see if you'll notice her.
0: <laughs> yes. It's why, you know, teachers ask students riddles. Like, ah! there's things to chew on that I'll never quite
1: <laughs> love it. Yeah, I think, um, oh, my God, Paradox is so fucking wild because I view Paradox as, um, on one level, it's kind of like mind training because I think people who are uncomfortable with paradox don't make it very far in the spiritual process because paradox is something that challenges our sense of knowing. Yeah. And so if you're really uncomfortable with paradox, you probably are too firm in your sense that I know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And the, any any real spiritual aspirant or any real spiritual tradition is like hey guess what you don't know what the fuck is going on right so it's like the whole spiritual process is realizing you don't know what the fuck is going yeah, on. yeah
0: the more i can realize that the better like really like my goal is to be in a constant state of amazement as to like what yeah. the fuck is going on
1: yeah totally like, what yeah, like, is what the this fuck is going on but oh, it's like God, joyful <laughs> is this
0: shit this is crazy
1: <laughs> yeah exactly right but i think that my paradox is mind training because um we have to um develop a positive relationship to paradox because this there's like a muscle in the mind that's able to hold paradoxical ideas. And that same muscle is the muscle that helps us to digest all of this craziness that life is presenting us with.
0: I like that a lot.
1: Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's like a a form of agility or something. Um, Yeah,
1: totally. Totally. Yes. Agility. Absolutely. Because, um, the reality of this field that we're in of this physical reality is that shit's just not going to go our way most of the time. Right. And so if you can't hold a paradox, you'll also struggle with being able to hold the craziness that life is constantly presenting us with. And the path of yoga is being able to just like vibe with that, you know, make the realm better. But at the same time, be like, I'm not even in control of this realm. And I'm just let it wash over me. Right. The fact
0: that I came here to do that. Like I really, I believe that we, I, the, the spiritual being, this immortal light being that's within me
1: Mm -hmm. came here to do this
0: (laughs) to experience that I think is what I'm getting at. Like to experience paradox, like to experience uncertainty, to experience not knowing, because like there's a level at which I think like what we are being manifestations of god there's a level at which we know everything right and now like i might not be able to access that um from this particular like uh within incarnation but that is there so that is in itself is a paradox too right <laughs> like, yeah. like i can know but everything I, and know nothing at the same time
1: yeah i think there's paradox even um so for instance all spiritual traditions are narratives That are trying to lead us into awareness of God, right? We could say that, right? But uh, paradoxically, all narratives are false. Yeah. So the paradox is that we need the narrative. I'm not anti narrative. We need the narrative. But at the same time, all narratives are false because they're based in the limitations of language, Mm. they're based in the limitations of the mind. And God actually exists outside of language, God exists outside of the mind. So the paradox is we need the narrative to get to God, but ultimately it's like the narrative itself is like a thorn that we stick into ourselves. And Mm -hmm. then we use the narrative to pull the thorn out.
0: That's really interesting. I love that. That's great. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Because I often think about the idea that like, I was going to say, I could argue that language actually like in a way separates us from God, but it's (laughs) like, but what you're saying is great because it's like, It's like the okay, so since it's the evolutionary process, yes, maybe the short term effect of language would be that separation because I'm not so much in the flow of Mm -hmm. my beingness. But at some point, that evolution is going to cause that language to help me to reconnect with God.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So, for instance,
1: away from reality is a thing I've heard a lot.
0: Yes, yes, and it's it's um, that language kind of like confuses things. Mm-hmm. or like self-awareness kind of confuses things. So there are like certain technologies and I would call self-awareness a technology. That might be weird, but um, there are these techn- like the written word is one of them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. That
0: kind of like um, they cause a separation or like maybe a further fracturing. Mm-hmm. But in the end, they do lead to like an in, in even greater understanding. Mm-hmm what do you think am i am i
1: no no i i'm following you there needs to be forgetfulness in order for there to be remembrance
0: yes that's great and so
1: it's like in this evolutionary process like there's contraction and expansion that's constantly happening over the course of all of history and so we could look at these periods of time like there there actually is like scholarly evidence to support that the written word led to like the end of fem- feminine divinity. Yeah, like, I
0: think so. There's
1: evidence to support this, but we could look at that moment as the contraction of forgetfulness that leads to the longing for remembrance. And yeah. so it's an essential part of the process that we're in. Um, and then I think also, like, it's interesting, you pointed to this. I think what separates humans from animals is the power of self-reflection. Mm. Like we're yeah. able to reflect. Like we're yeah. able to look back. And I think that in some ways, this ability to self-reflect is our curse. And it's also what makes us spiritual. Yeah. Because people can self-reflect until they fucking hate themselves. That's not a good thing. Right. right? But self-reflection itself is actually the spirit, the, the seed of spiritual inquiry. Who am I? What am I? What's going on? Those are serious questions. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and so language helps us to ask these questions. Thank Language helps with self reflection.
0: You said it better than I could. Yeah. <laughs> I
1: love it. <that. laughs> yeah, I think it's wonderful.
0: Because, <laughs> yeah, I, I, and you know, it's funny because that, like, that talking about, um like, the written word um leading to um the marginalization of feminine d- divinity or even the disappearance of it from our religions. Like, yeah, I had a conversation about this on, like, a couple episodes ago, I think, where um, I was like, yeah, that tracks. That tracks a hundred percent. Yeah. Good stuff. And because, well, it was when you talked about that's the same thing we used to pull out the thorn is when Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh yeah, that clicks. Mm -hmm. Good stuff.
1: Yeah. I really love that image of the pulling the thorn out. We use that a lot in my tradition where it's like, even when it comes to something like the ego, which is like the enemy from so many perspectives, it's kind of like our view. It's like, we use the ego to pull the ego out of the ego. Ooh, I and like that's it. That's the thorn that that's the thorn. And then we use the thorn to pull out both of the thorns. Like if that makes sense. And we throw mm, both.
0: Totally. Them yeah, yeah. So like the ego is this. Um, and again, like I want to use a word that's like not my favorite, but like a tool, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to where like an aligned and like um what's an aligned and functioning ego is actually makes me capable of doing amazing things. So it's like, not that the ego is bad. It's just that like, I have to um, develop it like anything, right? Like it's a muscle and I don't just get like abs yeah. Because you know,
1: <laughs> as much
0: as that would be cool. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um. The language that I use is that we want to refine and polish the ego.
0: Ooh, I like that a lot. It's yes, that's more because artistic. Not right. To
1: kill it. If you didn't have your ego, you wouldn't remember to go to work.
0: Later. Yes. There's this. There's this common thing of like, I need to. Oh, it's my ego. And I hear this a lot in like recovery circles. Like, oh, my, if I just my ego, it's my ego that's doing this. If I just didn't have it, I need to lose it. Like, nah, man.
1: Yes.
0: Yeah. That ego, when serving the divine, is like an amazing force to see, I think.
1: Yeah. yeah, It's the instrument that we use to express expansion.
0: Instrument is so much better than tool. Thank you for that. Yes.
1: I use the word instrument when I talk about the ego. Ego is major in my tradition. Ego is like the heart of the whole operation, but we don't view it as like this thing we need to destroy but we do it's like paradox it's like it's not it's like the ego does need to get worked on yeah but it doesn't need to be destroyed like it's like there's like two things going on at the same time
0: it's like if i'm on the ocean i want a ship and i think the (laughs) ego is kind of like that for reality like if i want Um, to navigate this reality i'm gonna need an ego
1: yeah totally because i need to
0: like eat and stuff
1: no yeah yeah totally (laughs) Yeah, it's not bad. It's just really good at its job. And its job is to identify with things. That's literally the the, from the from the yogic perspective, not Jungian psychology. Jung has a totally different idea of ego, you know, all these sorts of things. From the yogic perspective, the ego is the identification system of the mind. And so in Sanskrit, ahamkara is ego. And that literally translates to I am the doer. Oh, I like that. So the ego thinks I'm doing everything in a limited sense. And if you really get into some spiritual inquiry, you begin to realize that that's false because the only thing that's happening is God actually. And God is doing everything. Yeah. God is doing everything through you.
0: And so
1: ego work work is realizing that you are just an instrument of God. Yeah. You don't destroy yourself. You don't vilify yourself. You polish yourself so that you can become a more refined, expression of god who is the one who was doing everything the whole time that's basically the yogic process
0: <laughs> that's great. in a nutshell <laughs> no, i love it that's great it that yeah. sounds great
1: yeah so it's not bad it's just really good at doing its job right you have to just give it a different job basically
0: give it a job yeah a
1: job ordinary ego is like i'm separate I'm this person. I'm bad. I'm blah, 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 blah. And then you give the job. You say to the ego, okay, cool, cool, cool. You're really, really good at that. What if we started to identify with more than just ourselves? Yeah. What if we were the forest? Yeah. What if we were the sky? You know, we kind of want to expand our sense of self. Well, that
0: perspective that- shift is Major. everything to me. Like, again, I'm going to go to the AA stuff. They We call it the total psychic change. And it is. Yeah. like. There's a Rumi poem about this that's great. It's um I think it's the worms awakening. Are you familiar with it? Oh. Uh, check it out. I'm not going to do the um I'm not going to do the listeners a disservice of trying to remember it. Uh, <laughs> but um it's really good. Uh it's basically, you know, the idea uh and it's a short poem. It's it's not long. Um but the idea conveyed by it is this what we're talking about, like once and, and it's talking about this worm that like is addicted to eating leaves but the worm, <laughs> I know it's great, it's <laughs> Rumi's awesome um, but until the worm realized that it was the leaves and it was the whole garden and it was the yeah. entire world and wasn't hungry anymore yeah, you should check it out, it's, you'll love it
1: I'm gonna try to
0: find it, yeah i'll send try- it I'll send it to you afterwards, um okay, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's that idea, right, like, and I think that, um, for me in my sobriety was like a huge deal, like, oh, I don't have to devour anything because I am everything, like I have it, I am it, and that was actually like to me at the root of. Now, others may not vibe with this. That's fine. This was my experience. But that was really at the root of my addiction was this inability to exist in my own skin, right? Um, But once I realized that there was no, there's just, there's no, it's okay. It's all good. (laughs) Like I know that's like... Maybe a little bit of a, also a paradox
1: too there, where it's like um the, I feel like the paradox in that experience is there is no escape. Yeah, and then also there's nothing to escape from. Yes, there's like a paradox there because in that that experience, it's like we want to escape this embodiment. It's so painful to be in the body, but then at the same time, there's nothing to escape from. Yeah, so there's like a paradox with that as well.
0: Right. Well, there's no escape, and that becomes like. Okay, well if there isn't any. Yeah. Then what, what am I going to do? Like great. I don't have to do anything. <laughs> don't have to try. You know? Well with your last few minutes, I would like you to share what you've got going on, where people can find you, um you know, promote what you need to promote.
1: Right. Um well, um I'm on Instagram on organic.abundance. That's the best way to just taste what I'm throwing out in the world. Um, and I also have another Instagram that's in the bio of my organic abundance Instagram, which is the spiritual process with dots in it. Um, and that's the one where I talk more about like what I actually do like vocationally, like this is also like my vocation is like talking about spirituality and so um, I teach classes. Like I even mentioned earlier, I give talks every Wednesday night. Um, this Sunday, I'm teaching a two-part course all about spiritual devotion. Like, what is the experience of spiritual devotion? What happens if you don't have spiritual devotion? You know, why is this so important? So I'm giving a talk about that. And I work with people one-on-one. I do all kinds of stuff. So the best way to learn more about that is just to check it out, I think. And that's awesome. what I'll say.
0: Thank you so much for coming on. I had a great time talking to you.
1: Thank you. I did too. I genuinely enjoyed it.
0: Yeah. So I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.
1: Okay, cool. Thank you. Thank
0: you. (laughs) Do you experience weird shit? Do your parents not like to tell their friends about what you do in the woods? Do you make more friends in a graveyard than you do at a party populated by living humans? Do you have interactions with beings that are not strictly considered human? Do other people look at you like you're crazy when you mention talking to trees in casual conversation? If you fist-pumped or even just answered yes to any of these questions, you may be a nightbird. So let's sing together. If you'd like to come on the show and flap your gums with me, share your stories, or just talk about the malleable nature of reality for a while then send me an email at tim at nightbirdpodcast.com. That's tim at nightbirdpodcast.com. I'd love to have you on the show. But until then, I gotta fly. But before I go, let me say this. Remember, you are never alone. I believe you.